0: Hi and welcome back to Stand Partners for Life. I'm Nathan Cole.
1: I'm Akiko Taramoto.
0: And we are thrilled to be here with our great friend, someone we've been trying to get on this podcast actually ever since we started the show, good friend Johnny Lee, violinist with us in the LA Phil frequent hangar outer here at the Cole Tarumoto residence. So, you've gotten a heavy dose of the kids tonight. You got to experience dinner, TV watching time, bedtime.
1: You missed violin practice time though. Lucky you.
0: I have my wine, so it's fine.
1: <laughs> That's actually how we got you here. We bribed you with That's food true. and drink.
0: Johnny showed up wearing his Stand Partners for Life t-shirt, which made all of us happy, especially Hana noticed it right away. And if you too would like a snazzy Stand Partners for Life t-shirt, go to com slash shirts, that's shirt plural, and got guys and gals designs. But thank you so much for being here, Johnny. Yay. Yay. <laughs> and there are a few reasons to get you here. One, we talk about the orchestra life all the time and LA Phil life all the time. But in addition to that, you and Akiko have some real similarities, I guess, besides the fact that Akiko's fourth chair, first violin. Johnny, fourth chair, second violin.
1: He's my mirror. That's
0: right. (laughs) And we do, since first and second, mostly sit across the stage from each other here in LA. Not Akiko's favorite setup at the moment, but yeah. I think everybody's
1: tired of hearing my opinion on where the violin (laughs) should sit.
0: But you do get to mirror each other across the stage quite often. The bigger similarity is that you both went to the same school for undergrad. You actually overlapped in... We went to school in, in Boston. Cambridge. <laughs> they went to Harvard. I get to hear about it a lot. And actually... <laughs> no, you, you guys are good about it. And actually tonight, I really do want to hear about it in, in quite some detail. But yeah, neither of you went to conservatory for undergrad. And so, that's something that I know a lot of you guys out there have asked about, just the difference between going to conservatory, not going to conservatory, at least for undergrad and yeah, the different paths that people take to get to the LA Phil. Johnny, if you would back us up from Harvard, from Cambridge and tell us a little bit about where you're from, how you got started on the instrument and and all that and then we'll get to get to school days.
2: Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. So, I was at the Cleveland Institute of Music for prep school, not prep school, preparatory program age seven, I would say. Wow. Wow. So, I started when I was five, but started at CIM at seven. But that was, of course, because my parents were Korean immigrants and they just wanted us to play violin, us being me and my two older brothers, just to put on our college application.
1: So, were you all, Ed?
2: Yeah. So, we would have lessons on Friday after school. My mom would drive us all there. She'd take notes during lessons. And then on the way home, we'd get KFC as a reward. I thought um, you were going to say on the way home, you'd get yelled at. <laughs> no, she would yell at my brothers while she was practicing with them later. And I would just be scared by that. So, I would be sure to practice well. So, I wouldn't be yelled at. So, she actually never really yelled at me. And that's probably why I actually decided to pursue music because... Now they're I, older, I mean, yeah. They're older yes. and they hated it. From the start, they just wanted to play sports.
1: But they did it. They did it
2: because that's just what we did.
1: Like, how come our kids don't have this, like, same. we need to take notes. I need to talk to your mom. I think I need to, like, sit down with your mom.
2: My mom will just be like, oh, I just, like, locked them all in a room. It was just survival back then. Whatever. I'll write it down. (laughs) Come home
1: and try it. Did you ever knock at KFC because one of you didn't do well? Or Did you all – was it, like, the military where you all hung together? I think the only
2: requirement was that we had to just (laughs) get through the day. We all went to our lessons. They were, you know, one hour each. And, like, I mean, this is a big commitment. It's three hours on a Friday after school. Yikes. How long a drive? 30-minute drive there, 30-minute drive back. And then the same thing the next day with youth orchestra was four hours on Saturday or Sunday. And then later on when I was older, I did like theory, piano. So, it was like an entire Saturday morning. It was probably similar for you. But what my parents didn't bank on was that like I actually ended up enjoying it, even though I thought that I still wanted to become a doctor and did everything that you were supposed to do, study for your SATs, all that stuff.
1: So, your parents encouraged you even in high school to just do violin as a hobby and then you were gonna do it was
2: just assumed that it was a hobby.
1: Right. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Did they (laughs) I mean
2: wasn't it for you too? I mean like
1: No, I mean there was like a point where it became obvious that I wasn't as talented or, like, I wasn't as hard a worker. I wasn't, like, doing as well as, like, some of the other kids. Like, I wasn't going to become a soloist. So I kind of got, like, out into, like, whatever the other group was. Well, you, you know? weren't,
0: what, Sarah Chang at age nine? Yeah, I nine. mean, <laughs>
1: but then, like, but there were also people who weren't Sarah who were still, like, doing competitions and winning them. And, and I wasn't one of them either. So I automatically got relegated. So there was a point where it was like, oh, maybe you'll become one of those people. And then when it became obvious oh. I wasn't, then I think, then, you know, it got more and more so that it was like, well, you're not going to go to conservatory probably because huh. like, you're not going to become a soloist.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. There was never a point where I could have been a musician in my parents' eyes.
1: Interesting. I
2: mean, could they tell that you were enjoying it? Or yeah, but was it a secret? there's a lot of denial in the Korean community. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know if I should say that. But they just assumed because, you know, they sacrificed everything to come to this country. My dad was a doctor. That all three of us, all three boys would become doctors. And actually, only one of us is a doctor, my older brother.
1: <laughs> See, it worked though. I mean, like it stuck to at least one of you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know,
2: it's like you bank on three, you get one. That's a pretty good investment, I guess.
1: I talked to your mom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one of my kids sorry, of a
2: doctor. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> now, yeah. I'm just curious,
0: at that age, or at any point actually before you went away to school, I mean, these teachers that you had at the CIM prep program, I mean, were they the same big time teachers, let's say, that that taught at the conservatory?
2: Yeah. And actually later on, when I was finally deciding to do music, I got in contact with both of them and my childhood teacher, Carol Ruzica, she was ecstatic and she was like, I knew from a really early age that you would do well no matter what because I knew that you really enjoyed it and, you know, you had a gift for it or whatever. That's so nice. But then I also contacted my other teacher and she was like – She took the safer – Linda serone David serone's wife. I just totally understand her point of view too. She was very cautious because she knew from where my parents were coming and, you know, she just didn't want to – overly encouraged me too much in case it didn't work out. Are you flashing forward now to after? This is been like at uh, during college when okay. I sort of decided and I was having a really hard time with my parents about it. Like even now, if I were to have a kid and they told me they wanted to be like a sculptor or something, I, I don't know if I would be like 100% supportive. No, of course I would be supportive, but it's hard, you know, you want your kid to you might wish suffer. for something. Yeah. <laughs>
0: you might wish they didn't like it so much. Mm-hmm. What did Mrs. Serone say? She,
2: she was like, it's a tough life and I understand your parents' point of view. So, I, I don't want to like say yes or no. But I had already sort of made my decision anyway. But before that, you and your parents made the decision that you
0: would not go to music school. Right, right. How did that come about? I mean, you basically talked about the expectations leading yeah, up to college. Yeah, there was
2: just a path that was assumed My brothers who are older, they did the same path. We went to like an all boys private school starting in seventh grade and that was very rigorous. Most of my high school years were spent studying, didn't go to parties much. I practiced when my parents would go to their church meetings during the week, like choir practice, whatever. And practicing for me was enjoyable because I would finally get to do something other than study, which Uh. I think might be different from the Sarah Changs of the world, where they're just locked in a practice room for six hours a day from a very young age. And I never had that. Practicing was like a refuge for me. And what kind of time are we talking? I mean, yeah, how much did you? I never practiced more than a couple hours a day, and it was. Funny,
1: I mean, I think there's that whole myth of like having to do.
2: You know, I'm sure you've covered this in previous podcasts where it's the kind of practice you're doing. Yeah.
0: Um, Well, I I definitely, I mean, I maxed out at two hours before going to school.
2: CAM Um, also has this juries basically for high school kids too. Every year, it's similar to college juries. And every year, you're required to do harder stuff. And my teachers were very strict on the whole like scale routines and all that stuff. So, I think like the basics were definitely there. But I had already sort of secretly decided by... The end of high school that I was going to do music, but not tell my parents until later. We know now getting into Harvard is quite literally big
0: business. I mean, people, <laughs> and I, I'm sure people took shortcuts back then. But oh, what yeah. was the process like? Actually, I, I forget if we covered well, yeah, this Johnny much Pied
3: with his you. Way on. Right. I totally
0: I paid my way <laughs> <on>. <laughs> Like, yeah, that's good. Well, a, you know, good easy answer. <laughs> but for both of you guys, I mean, the sort of process of applying and getting into Harvard. What was that? Like back then, it way was literally easier than it is. way easier than applying.
1: Way easier than now. I feel like yeah. it,
2: it was way easier back then, and I think
1: I'm sure it was. I yeah. mean,
2: obviously, we didn't pay our way in, but there was still connections. And so, this private all boys school, our high school guidance counselor was a Harvard graduate. Right. So, in my class of eighty kids five of them got into Harvard that year Mm. and no one got into Yale because we had like a bad relationship with Yale (laughs) (laughs) you weren't a Yale feeder yeah and so that was an early decision school that I did and I kind of was early just action. Early action, or at least
1: when, no. When I applied, it was early action. Maybe, right? I, I don't
2: even remember, but it was one of those common applications where is this all Harvard lingo? I don't. I, <laughs> you know, I didn't have any early action.
1: I think when you get into the best school for your career and it's free, you don't have to know these,
3: these BS terms. Did you even right have to now. take
0: the SAT? I did, yeah. Curtis required the SAT. Or I think if you were too young to take the SAT, then you had to like promise to go to school while you were at Curtis. Yeah.
2: This is a... <laughs>
1: promise. <laughs>
2: this is an interesting story. So, I went to Encore School for Strings every summer from seventh grade through senior year except after sophomore year of high school where my parents made me take the Princeton Review to increase my PSAT score because I did poorly on the practice exam in 10th <laughs> grade. And so I did that, but I was off campus. We call that off core. Off <laughs> <laughs> core, yeah. Okay, okay. And I actually had to learn the viola so I could still participate in chamber music because they were short in violas. Oh, and so I was oh, like, oh, so you I have actual to... viola training? No, I literally just sight read this Mendelssohn Quartet on viola because that's how stupid <laughs> I was as a teenager. (laughs) Um,
1: B equals C. Yeah.
2: There were a few like wrong accentals, but other than that, it's pretty easy. That's (laughs) pretty much my viola experience. (laughs) I did the whole third position and first position. Hey, this summer,
1: we're going to have to press you into service as a Mm -hmm. Mm
2: violist. It totally worked. The Princeton Review increased my score by 300 points.
1: Do you wow. actually work for the Princeton Review, Tommy? <laughs> <laughs> this they is pay not, a, this on is on not an pocket. ad for the Princeton Review.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, to learn more about the Princeton Review, stand
2: in with Is it even like a company anymore? Like, is this aging us? It's
1: true. It's, like, uh,
2: it's probably it's like... like I mean, you, well, they still they have Kaplan and stuff, right?
1: Uh, I don't oh know. God. Are I, I'm I'm like, pretty, they have
2: like fax machines and stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure I see, you know, in the yellow pages, I think they have... Kaplan <laughs> BCR.
3: You know, around Dana. this time,
0: we should say too, Johnny's when you and I met. Mm-hmm. Now, that would have been 1994. 1994, Christmas time. Yep.
2: The New York String Orchestra Seminar that took
0: and place. This is, I
1: feel left out of this. Oh. Like but you, you, you grew get... up
2: in New York, so it's not as special for you.
0: It was but like, like why a...
1: didn't I do it then? Like, what was I doing?
0: But the whole rest of this episode, you guys have the connection. This is like me and Johnny's one.
1: We're going to keep throwing the Harvard thing on <laughs> Elliot House because we Elliot. actually live in the same dorm. Andrew at Harvard, too. So we, oh, right. So, oh, we, can, a, we have all kinds of inside stuff. We're going to start now talking and about JCRs.
2: Four Harvard graduates mm-hmm. in the Elliot which is crazy. I
1: think that's the highest percentage, probably. That's that? just my guess.
2: That might be. Well, um, you're keeping your promise already. You're
0: throwing the Harvard thing in there.
1: I'm going to come up with more acronyms. I, I just than...
0: I wanted thirty seconds to mention the string seminar yeah, thing yeah, because yeah, Johnny and I were back, actually back not to... only met but we were roommates. Roommates. Yeah. Um, so uh-huh. age sixteen, I had never been to New York before, and what we were for to a, I guess they were suites, weren't they? At yeah. that, what was the name of the hotel in the Wellington? The Wellington Hotel near Carnegie Hall. Then um, yeah.
1: Seventh Avenue.
0: I it was walking distance and, Yeah, 55th, Carnegie. I think. Yeah, so four of us in a suite. I'd never been anywhere. I wasn't used to staying up past 10 p.m., I don't think. And well, I think activities there ended maybe at 10 p.m. And then you'd take the bus back to the hotel. And so, you know, I'd be kind of falling asleep on the bus ride back to the hotel. And everybody else was like gearing up to go out.
1: Go out?
0: You know. Yeah, I mean, Not you know. Not Did
1: you have a curfew?
0: I was 15. I don't think there was an official... Oh,
1: come on. For like high school kids?
0: But who would have been checking? I mean, I mean... Well, some of them are in college.
1: Right. But I mean, like, so like I went to Aspen, but like, you know, somebody came around at curfew time, made sure you were in your room. I mean, people snuck out after that, but somebody still made the effort to come around. I
0: don't remember any of that. That's I crazy. just crazy. Yeah. But I got you never res- went out. Oh, no. I mean, I was trying desperately to sleep and, you know, I'd get woken up by partying or yelling, not partying from
1: Wait, so the two of you were just like really good. You just like go home and go to sleep.
2: That's what I remember. Yeah, I I honestly don't remember much about it, about at least the social aspect of it. But I do remember that Nathan was very different back then.
1: Like how? Describe him. The listeners are eager to... (laughs)
2: Well, (laughs) let's just say this. So, I was roommates with Nathan in 1994 and I didn't see him until 2005 when i spent a summer in chicago and when i saw him he was talking about wine and the various qualities uh, of the wine and did you see you his know. collection
1: of wine glasses do you remember that i don't remember that he had this huge collection of, of very expensive wine glasses maybe
2: he was talking about that
1: and there were like his kids <laughs> like they had to be washed in a very specific way <laughs> the very specific soap that so was like our not kids, really soap by the way just...
2: <laughs> no but he was not like that our in 1994. Cost. he was just kind of Sorry, he was kind of nerdy and like. I mean, I you were hard from for Kentucky, I believe. So, what year was this? 1994.
0: 94. So, we so were... I
1: met you in 97. Yeah. So, it was basically probably. I was a sophomore, was a... you are
2: probably a junior in high school.
1: Probably similar, yeah. So, yeah. I...
0: so, I guess what we have in common is that after meeting me, Neither of you guys had any desire to stay in touch with me until,
2: you know, a decade later, which
0: is...
1: <laughs> until you changed completely into a different person. <laughs> that, that's good. That's the way it works. I think it's just the hair. He got a better haircut.
2: So, I have an interesting story about... It's not interesting. It's just, this is the story about how I met Akiko for the first oh, time. I don't, actually, <laughs> I don't remember meeting you at Harvard. I just remember, like, seeing you perform.
1: What was I playing? You were
2: playing Mendelssohn Octet at with Art's Joe. first... Right. Yes, but you were playing first violin. What? I remember this.
0: I know it's
1: embarrassing. Arts first. No, Joe was sitting there the whole time, please. waiting to. Joe Lynn Boot my.
2: No, it was awesome.
1: But I like
2: <laughs> you kicked ass. But I was like, "Holy shit, who is this girl?" And then I remembered I was in London for intercession, which is the vacation we have after finals in January, and I was staying with Julie Park, this girl we were in the Harvard Orchestra with, and You're she's staying with her in a London. Car- In Cambridge. In
1: Cambridge, that's right, because she spent – that's right.
2: And she used to play in a quartet with Akiko in college. And apparently that was when Akiko was at Juilliard for grad school, and Akiko had just won the LA Phil job, and she called Julie. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. I wish I could be just like her. (laughs)
3: <laughs> oh. And you guys didn't even
0: really know No, I, I didn't
2: know her, but obviously I knew enough about her I was like, wow, that's so great Because there were actually a lot of pretty good musicians at Harvard During our time, it was like Joe and yeah. Ayano And like yeah. people who just really cared about it Because they weren't locked in a practice room all day And you know? they were studying other things And I honestly don't think I would have liked music as much If I were at Cleveland for college
0: I mean, this seems to be
2: the theme for you so far in your life. You know, you were not
0: made to practice. Yeah, your practicing was optional for you growing up and you enjoyed it. And then if you were
2: going to do it in college, it was only going to be because you wanted to. Or I had free time. All of my free time from studying was for music. In college. Yeah. So, like orchestra or chamber music or reading parties or anything like that. You too though, right?
1: I did that stuff, but I don't remember really just filling all the gaps with music. What else did you do? Drank with my roommates or something. I discovered alcohol like my second year. <laughs> no, it was, it was my freshman year. <laughs> that was it. That's
0: hard it to remember. Like Barney,
1: Barney Gumball. <laughs> Where have you been all my life?
0: You know, obviously, you guys will have. A lot to say about the, the whole Harvard experience, which was so different from... I mean, I basically didn't really have the college experience. What was it like, for example, to find out that you got it? Was that a big deal for for both of you? For either of you?
1: Getting to Harvard? Yeah. Yeah, it was a big deal. I mean, I think my Did you mom... you get a
0: letter or a call?
1: <laughs> Again, this is like... We got a Yeah, you know, like, like a horse and buggy pulled up and delivered like a... Telegram. 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 Yeah, scroll with a... You got into Harvard,
2: stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to go there.
1: Um- <laughs> Although maybe I think you could call. Really? Yeah, I think they were like... So
0: like a 900 number? <laughs>
1: something where it's like, you can, after 5 p.m. on we're this sold. day, we will have the decisions. That was it. Oh, wow. I remember sitting on my bed in my room calling, and like I was shaking because I was so nervous.
2: See, for me, like maybe this was like, I should have known because I was kind of like, I was just doing what I thought I was supposed to do. I had a stack of other applications that I had not even started. Because I was like, oh, you know, I'm sure everything will work out in the end or whatever. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think I should be getting my letter soon. Like, I just didn't care that much for some reason. Whereas now I just care about everything like too much.
1: (laughs) Plus your Um, brothers, they didn't go to Harvard. So it didn't feel like you had to Exactly. To the same school as them, or something.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my mom, I remember, I told her like, if you get the letter, don't open it without me. Mm-hmm. So I got home and she had a letter that was in just like a, a normal size envelope. And you always hear, you know, if it's like in a yeah Manila envelope or whatever, it's, it means you got in. So my mom looked at me when I got in. She's like, it's so small. <laughs> and I was like, and I got really I was like, mom, come on, like whatever. Like she's like, I didn't open it. And then I and I opened it. And, and then I remembered when I opened it, I was like ecstatic. I was like, so, I, then I realized I actually really did care. I just wasn't thinking about it. And we were like, oh my God, this is so amazing. Oh, yeah. so it was
1: December, right? Because you did early action.
2: I guess it must have been December, yeah. Yeah. And so,
0: arriving there, and what were your guys' majors? I mean, we talked about your story. So, yeah, it was English episode.
1: and your...
2: So, I was eventually economics, but at Harvard, you have to declare your major after freshman year, which is relatively early. And because I was pre-med at the time, I declared biology, which was interesting because I hated science.
1: <laughs> but you took chem 10.
2: Okay, here's another thing. So, sorry, I have to amend my story from before where another summer I had to take off from Encore was in 96 where I had to go to Northwestern for the college preparatory program, which my brothers had also done, where you take a course at Northwestern for college credit. It actually counts for college credit. And they took chemistry, so I took chemistry there as well. And at Northwestern, the sciences are really difficult, and so it was actually really hard. And so – But
1: probably the point is that you're not going to really be able to keep up, but that you're going to be prepared for – Exactly. Yeah.
2: And so, I thought – I was like, oh, I I could do Chem 10 at Harvard, it's no problem.
1: (laughs) I was completely
2: lost for the first three weeks. So
1: sorry for that, because now we're, we're gleefully leaving Nathan out of the loop here. With I know. Chem 10, was, chem 5. So I
2: was going
0: to ask eventually. Chem 10 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: is... I'm like, oh, so wow,
2: th- did you have to take the first nine? Chem 10. <laughs> chem 5 and 7 are the normal.
1: That's a year-long process to take chem 5 and 7. But you can condense that into one semester and just take chem 10, which oh. doesn't make any sense because 5 and 7 don't add up to 10. But... <laughs>
2: No, but it was it wasn't even like English. I felt like it was I did not recognize this at all. And I was completely lost. And then it was like the week before the midterm or whatever. And then you could sort of drop it and go down to chem five if you wanted to. And so I did that. And chem 5 was everything I recognized from the Northwestern program. So that was like relatively easier for me. And then I took like a biology class and all these things. I was also just so Sorry, I should probably tell you that the first week of Harvard, when my parents dropped me off, I told them that I was probably going to pursue music despite being at Harvard and they got really upset at me. Oh, the first week? Yeah. And uh, it was horrible. And I felt so guilty that I was determined to be pre-med to please them. So, like everybody kind of pretended that conversation didn't happen? Exactly. Okay. It was so traumatizing that I studied so hard my freshman year. That's right. You
1: got a prize.
2: Yeah, I lost weight. I got some Dean's Award. I don't even know what it was, but I I was miserable. I didn't party. I didn't do anything. Oh, I think I got straight A's too. Yeah, that's why you got the prize. Yeah, the prize. I got some (laughs) prize. And then after my last final exam, I still have the picture somewhere in my house where I look like emaciated. And then my friend from high school came. And we got. Oh, so that that he got me drunk for the first time, and it was the it was that was the year that I would have known you. (laughs) Yes, that was the year we overlapped.
1: That's why we like never Mm -hmm. hung out because I was busy drinking with my roommates, and you were busy getting straight A's. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, but it's like what a waste! It's like a waste of a year. I was just. But I, I hear this please. and I think
1: that I should have been more like that. That's why like, amazing. No, you I don't were, know what that's like. But it must be an amazing feeling to get all like straight A's at Harvard. You like, were having awesome. like
2: the college experience, which I yeah, well, granted I had the following three years. But
1: yeah, <laughs> it's four. Years. I mean, you know, at some point you'll have that experience.
2: I mean, maybe it
0: sounds trite to say you needed that or something to remember, because eventually you decided violin was going to be it again.
2: Yeah, and I think a lot of kids, their first year at college is kind of an overlap of high school. So, I was just sort of doing the same things and not doing the same things. But then when I had my first drink, that's when things went downhill. (laughs) Just kidding. But that's what college is for. Were you still practicing that first? I wasn't practicing on my own, but I was doing everything music related. I still remember my first chamber group at Harvard was the Dvorak Piano Quintet. Oh, which we and have played. That was the first time, which Nathan and I played this year, this past year. And I remembered thinking, wow, this is like the greatest piece ever. And I still, whenever I hear the second movement, second theme, I just think of college.
3: It
0: just brings back like memories. And then you both, I know, played in the, see, even I know this acronym, H R O.
1: Very nice. <brother>. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Harvard Radcliffe Orchestra? Yes. All Good right. guess. And so you both did that. Were you in it together?
1: No, because no. I quit after my sophomore year. Okay. And Johnny's three years younger than me, so he would have... And was that a
2: him. weekly meetup?
0: Yeah. That?
1: I don't
2: remember how often a, a week I think they it met. Was once
1: a week. I don't remember. Once
2: or twice a week. Several programs a year? Like four, four. or five programs yeah. a year. Okay. But like standard stuff. I feel like I played more standard stuff at Harvard than they do at Cleveland where they try to utilize as many instruments as possible. I oh, um, I when see. I was in grad school at Cleveland, they played like the Walton Symphony Number no. 1 <laughs> right. and stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas at Harvard, they made a point of playing all the Brahms symphonies mm-hmm. every four years so everybody could play all the Brahms symphonies. Oh. My first Bright of Spring where Dr. Y, rest in peace, went through every measure with us explaining to us how to do it. There was that yeah. he did a trick for his Symphonic Metamorphosis,
1: interesting. Which was
2: my first program.
0: When you know. need that, I mean, sometimes when someone new will join the orchestra, I mean, not just here but also in Chicago, and maybe they don't know Rite of Spring at all. And I always think, like, didn't they ever have that moment? Didn't they have that time that they really had to like, go through Rite of Spring yeah. for the first time in school? Like, didn't somebody yell at them about these rhythms <laughs> ever? Yeah, that was yeah. your.
1: I don't remember doing Rite of Spring as a student ever.
0: Well, at Curtis, it was always part of the finals for the conducting auditions. Right. Oh. And so, right, okay. since I was in the lab orchestra, I had to play the hard parts, like the hard rhythmic parts of of Spring. I had to play them eight or nine times in a row for all the conducting
2: candidates every year.
1: I'm sure, You know, I did lab orchestra, so I must have. Yeah. Must have done Do you remember anything
2: that. you played in HRO? Uh,
1: you remember I a lot, it? I feel like we right? did Mahler 5. I think we did. And I'm sure we did, yeah, some Brahms. So, it was just the two years maybe bartok and Turf or orchestra possibly yeah i don't remember like a whole lot of specifics
2: were you taking lessons at this point
1: we both took lessons with mr chang
2: yes but i only started with him junior year
1: okay i think basically me too i think i just i don't know if you did the same thing i didn't was it the thing where you had 200 dollars per semester to take lessons i didn't <laughs> know about this. Per semester? oh yeah Jeez. so like <laughs> because there was no teacher on campus there's a stipend of 200 dollars per semester to Take lessons. What? I mean, and I'm not
0: sure if everybody realizes this too. I mean, you cannot major in music at Right. Harvard. You
1: can, but not performance.
0: Not, okay, not performance. Only composition. So there is theory. no violin, you know. At least there wasn't back then. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, now you can do the dual program. They didn't have a dual program either with any C or anything. They do these days.
0: Right. So, yeah, that was. So, they give you $200 for the whole semester.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, this was back in the olden days. So, it didn't, didn't cost awful. what it does now to take lessons. But, you know, I have to say Mr. Chang, definitely, he really liked teaching people from Harvard because he went to Harvard. This and is Lin that, Chang, if we're going yeah, to give a shout out. Yes. He would go out of his way. He would come to campus or sometimes I'd meet him at MIT, but I think he would just teach. So I think sometimes he was getting paid and I don't think he was always getting paid. So, I, I really have to express appreciation for him just being like a really enthusiastic teacher.
2: Yeah. And he was also just like a, a mentor because he was wanting to hear what's going on. Yeah. I think it was, it was like mostly part therapy. Part yeah. It was part <laughs> therapy for sure. The lessons were very long. The phone calls were very long.
1: Yeah. There were phone calls. There were, yeah. He would just call oh. and check and say, how's it going?
2: And it was, a lot it of was mostly like taking lessons for summer festivals or oh, um, right. grad school auditions or something like that. But he knows when I was like, oh, so, so Kiko's doing this. He was <laughs> telling me about you, who I'd never even really met.
1: Well, because at this point, I was, I was sort of a success story, right? I think at the time, uh, I was sort right, of right, a right, flunky. Right. I mean, so when I say I took lessons with him, he technically charged, like, 16, anymore, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, it was And like so I could afford smart. like three lessons. He was very generous at this time, but I really did not see him more than those three times in a semester. I even think maybe sometimes it was less because I was late, like I wouldn't call and I was, I didn't think I was going to do this for a living until a little bit later in my college life. But I don't know if you were a little bit more regimented about seeing him or.
2: No, especially not my junior year. My parents definitely weren't going to pay for the lessons. And I didn't really? know about this two hundred dollars <laughs> until now in two thousand nineteen <laughs> as a forty year old. <laughs> Thanks, but my senior, I think I was a little more regimented because I knew I had to take grad school auditions. Right. At what, what point did you decide? Yeah. So,
1: but you said you knew the whole time.
2: I knew the whole time in myself, but I think I'm not overgeneralizing here. Where I say you know, in Asian culture, parents have sort of a set view of what you want to just you kind of have to like stagger the disappointments. <laughs> uh,
1: you have a schedule, yeah. you roll them out. There were, there were
2: a lot of disappointments. So, you know, I stopped going to church, you know, I didn't want to become a doctor, I wanted to become a musician, like you know, I came out as being gay, all this stuff. When I gave up pre-med, I actually was like, well, I can't just go straight like, well, to this music. Is,
1: this is going to delay the coming out for at least 10 years. Oh, totally. I, I had to delay the
2: coming out until I had a stable job for sure.
1: You had a lot writing on those job auditions. Oh, it's totally.
2: Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But I can't just <laughs> major in music. I mean, I didn't even want to major in music because it's just musicology and history. You know, it's whatever. We, we don't care about that. Just kidding. <laughs> 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 so I made a compromise with myself and I said, you know, I'm going to major in something practical so my parents aren't completely worried about my future. So I chose economics. And I told my father that I was going to be an investment banker and that he would have nothing to worry about. And so he said, fine.
1: Poor Johnny. No,
2: it's fine. It was the jock major. It's fine. <laughs>
1: no, but I mean, you know, just you had to like keep coming up no, with I, I, elaborate rules. I, I was reasons. very
2: crafty. <laughs> <laughs> seriously.
1: You're, I had a whole you're, like, you're like a Shawshank. <laughs> <laughs> you're like <laughs> chipping away at the wall oh, with seriously. a tiny hammer. Pressure plus time. <laughs> <laughs> and like dropping little bits of your concrete wall in the jail yard.
2: <laughs> I played a concerto with like a summer orchestra at Harvard. And my uncle and aunt came also with my parents, and my uncle told me afterwards. He's like, and it went well, and he's he said, yeah, you're not good enough to be a musician. I'm sure that they all discussed it beforehand, and
1: right, you know, he should discourage you.
2: Yeah, wait, was he like a <laughs> artist manager? Or what? No, he was like an ENT doctor or something. <laughs> <laughs> but he's from New York and he thinks he knows everything.
3: Yeah, he's from New
1: York. He's from New York. And he said, Johnny,
2: should That counts for a lot.
0: What was it like auditioning for grad schools? I mean, was there doubt at that point? Like, maybe I've lost a step, you know, can I get into these schools that I want to? Or was it, did it was, you kind of know where you stood? It was
2: actually the first reality check was the summer festivals. I thought that I was still you know, this hotshot, whatever. I can do anything.
1: This is, you mean, summer while you were at Harvard? While
2: I was in school, yeah. Right.
1: So, after your freshman year, though, you worked for the Japanese chemistry guys Yes,
2: guy. I did. So, that was when I was still pre-med. So, I worked okay. at the med school as a lab assistant. And then the following year, when I had declared economics as my major, I worked at Fidelity Investments.
1: Oh, that's right.
2: All I remember about that summer was that on the way there on the bus, in Cambridge, I would listen to like chamber music on uh-huh. my iPod or whatever the – my disc man, oh, whatever yeah. it was back then. And it was like, the answer was right there. <laughs> it's like a romantic comedy. It was right there in front of me the whole time. Um, That's really
1: sweet. I mean, you really – it's like deeply ingrained.
2: But yeah, so junior year, I was like, okay, I'm going to audition for these music festivals. I'm going to make tapes on my mini disc player. All this stuff, but it was kind of a rude awakening because maybe two years means a lot because I went to an audition for Tanglewood and one of the judges, who shall re- <laughs> <laughs> remain nameless.
1: I know who uh, was.
2: Yeah, just gave me some advice and it wasn't, <laughs> it hurt my feelings, let's just say that.
3: so <laughs> vague. Um,
2: yeah, I don't know. I think I was overly confident in the beginning and I realized I had a lot of work to do. Without saying a name, what was the advice? I mean, to be fair, the audition list was very difficult. It was like Opus 130 and like Bartok 5 and all this stuff. And I had prepared all of them myself. I don't think I had met Lin Cheng at the time yet. I was like, how hard can this be? You know, just play these small excerpts. Remember those days? Yeah. And (laughs) he stopped me in the hallway after my audition when I was on the way to the bathroom. And I thought... And you he felt like, like it went well. Yeah, I thought it went well. And I thought that he was going to say, oh, it went well.
1: <laughs> like, here's a nice man who's going to tell me it went well. He basically was
2: like, you know, you played the second half of the phrase twice the speed as the first half of the phrase in the Beethoven, right? I said, oh, I didn't realize. He goes, I take it rhythm isn't your strongest quality. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. And so I got on the number one bus back to Harvard and I was like, what have I done?
0: I, the summer festival thing, though, is, you know, while I was at Curtis, because I had gone to Sarasota the summer before I went to Curtis. And so a couple of years, yeah, similar situation was like my second or third year in school. And I thought, well, don't have anything else going on this summer. Um, maybe I'll try and go back to Sarasota because that was kind of fun. <laughs> I made it tape and didn't get in. And um, What year was that? That would have been like 98. So didn't they I, I know, know that you got but in you, before? But you ended up
1: going to Marlborough.
0: No, not that year. I didn't go till 99. I went in 96, which was the summer before I went to Curtis. And so then two years later, I tried to go back, you know, after two <laughs> years in at Curtis and I didn't get in. And I never got into Ravinia, never got into the Staines Institute at Ravinia. So, yeah, I think the summer festival thing I think, I think I, I applied cool. one
1: summer to be in like the Disney Orchestra or something and I didn't get in. Yeah.
0: What's the coming back audition? to me now. There's like- that, that sounds more humiliating, but I'm sure it was like basically the same people auditioning for all this stuff. So it was probably the same level of competition.
1: Coming back to me now. I, I actually, I feel like if I see Raman ever again, I'm going to ask him. because I think we both got rejected.
2: I still <laughs> have the acceptance letter from Taos. That's my senior. You Harvard. still have it? Because yeah. I remembered being so excited when I got in because I was so, like, dejected from all my rejections for summer festivals. Uh,
0: and we were all shoot Actually, that was a similar Taos thing for alums. me because I got
2: into Taos. I hadn't
0: gotten into these other places and, and that's where Akiko and I met.
1: That's right. <laughs> and then so, promptly lost touch. <laughs> we,
0: <laughs> but we can thank Sarasota's rejection for at least letting us meet for the first time.
1: Yes. And I got into Tanglewood that year and then I turned them down and then I... Got into some hot water for that. That's a different... Ah.
2: Oh, maybe that's why I didn't get in. Lin Cheng said to me, none of my students ever get rejected from Tanglewood. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's a very helpful helpful
1: yeah. thing to say. Like, oh, no, thanks. <laughs> like, well, I'm glad I could be first.
2: <laughs> I mean, you went to
0: Cleveland Institute. I mean, was that partly... I mean, did that have anything to do with the fact that you were from there? You're familiar
2: with the school? Yes. I think my original plan was to study with a teacher... That I really wanted to study with, but that didn't work out. And so I also wanted to study with Bill Prusell because I knew that eventually I wanted to be an orchestra musician. And you did back then? I wanted to study excerpts because I wanted to win an orchestral audition. Cleveland was great. The atmosphere there at the time was, the level was very high. And it's a smaller school than Juilliard. And I feel like. The students were very supportive of each other, and a lot of students won jobs, a lot of students started quartets, and I'm still close to them to this day. But in Cleveland, I had an apartment near the school, even though my parents were like 10 miles away, but (laughs) I just didn't (laughs) want to live with them.
1: They were fine with that. They didn't mind.
2: They were fine with it, but my dad did tell me, he said, you know, if you were going to go to med school... I would pay all of your tuition. But because you're going to music school, you don't have to take out loans. And so I did.
1: Yeah, I took that out was... loans too. I did live for free.
2: You lived at your parents' house?
1: No, because my mom grew up in an apartment close to Manhattan School. Ooh. And they still had the apartment. So I just I just moved in there for two years. So that, you know, I had that. But they did say they weren't going to pay for grad would, school. Would
2: they have paid for law I school? I don't
1: know. I don't know if they would have...
2: I remember kind of an Asian thing, right?
1: Yeah, the like the carrot on the (laughs) stick, the bribing Yeah,
2: like paying for you until you get a job type thing.
1: I don't think they would have paid for law school though, honestly. So I do remember when I was in the finals for the St. Louis audition, or maybe it was after I didn't get it, my mom said, Your dad was so excited that you might get that job that he said he'd buy you a Saturn if you won. (laughs) Does anybody even know what a Saturn is? <laughs> it's awful. Yeah, I think I think she told me after the fact. And I think it was actually after I maybe it was even after I won my LFL job. So I was like, "Well, where's my car?" Like
0: <laughs> now that I've actually won, yeah, I-, I
1: I won a job. Can I have the car? Like no, offer expired.
2: <laughs> well, when did you uh, start taking auditions, Johnny? Second year masters. Okay, and I think my first year masters I was like gigging around Ohio with little community orchestras, and then I really started sort of gung-ho. And interestingly, St. Louis is my first audition. And there were a lot of kids in my class that were taking the same audition. And with St. Louis at the time, they had three rounds of prelims on three different Mondays. And so, I was in the second round of Mondays. And a, a bunch of my friends won in the first round. And at the time, I had won a few regional auditions. And so, I was like, oh, I'll be so fine. So, you'd
1: taken orchestra auditions already.
2: Well, it was like concertmaster for like the Canton Symphony, but it, you know, or something like but that. That's but still, it I was mean, still like an you. audition, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, I was like, oh, I'll be fine. And my friends who had taken it, you know, they had advanced. And so, I was like, oh, it'll be fine. So, I got there. <laughs> this is my first real orchestra audition behind a screen, which is a completely different experience. I remembered my last excerpt was The Nutcracker, which yeah. St. Louis kind of almost exclusively asks for. Which is great, because it's a great excerpt to ask for.
1: I remember preparing not crying. Yeah. the first time. Was-
2: I remembered the end of the overture. It was so high, and I was so nervous. <laughs> My forearm just started cramping up, and I just started getting slower, and slower. I was
3: like, and then after it was over, battery.
2: the committee was like, okay, thanks. And still, I thought I did well. Like, you know, the denial was amazing. And then a few other classmates who were there at the same audition, they passed and I did not. And I was like, I was devastated. It's my first audition. And I remember my mom picked me up from Hopkins Airport in Cleveland and we were just driving in silence. And then she finally said, maybe you should have gone to med school. I don't think I've ever had to do any
0: drives or flights back with anybody after a losing audition. So, usually I get to stew and... My own juices. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Sounds good. (laughs) What was the rest of your audition? How many others did
2: you take? Um, I took, I think, I I think I took a total of nine before I won my first full-time job, which was the Charlotte Symphony.
1: So, this is all during your second year?
2: Yes, but the Charlotte was actually after I had graduated. And so, my plan during graduation was to just live at home. And continue being like concertmaster of the Canton Symphony uh-huh. and doing whatever, being, you know, whatever. And your um, parents,
1: like, were they starting again?
2: Get- uh, I didn't really <laughs> address the topic with them.
1: So when you won Charlotte, you were living at home?
2: No. So I was at Spoleto for a summer festival. And Spoleto's in Charleston, which is three hour drive from Charlotte. Oh, wow. So I remembered I took a day off from Spoleto to take the audition. And so, when I went, I was like, "Yes, <laughs> stay right here, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I took my Honda Civic and my parents' car and we drove down afterwards from Cleveland and I remember the day I arrived in Charlotte, they declared a strike, oh, so that was my God. first day of work
1: and your position there was It was
2: assistant concertmaster,
1: which um, is what the, third, the third chair. chair okay
2: that was my first year, and then the second year it was like associate it was mm. an acting associate.
1: So, you so played there concert a lot master.
2: Of, there were a lot of concertmaster opportunities. There was like a, a John Williams concert, like, you know, the Schindler's List, the entire suite type thing, which is a little bit too long, actually. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> even during the strike concerts, like... Playing concert master the whole time.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> that way more concert and, master experience than I have. Unsportsmanlike,
2: like stick the new guy. Yeah, they're like,
1: who's this? Like, it's not, He's not even Farrell. getting
0: paid yet. <laughs> I know, seriously. Yeah, it's having become twisty.
2: And how long were you in Charlotte before? I was in Charlotte for two years. I think I had a good year in two thousand five. Is like a lot of audition auditioning is timing and when you're feeling like you're in your mm-hmm. zone, got the hot hand. A lot of people sort of get obsessed with like winning an audition and. I think that when I won Charlotte, I was kind of like, wow, this is amazing. I have a full-time job. Like, I sh- like I was prepared to live there for the rest of my life and I was totally fine. Like, I-, I loved it so much and I was like doing a lot of chamber music and all this stuff. Do you
1: ever go back and visit Charlotte?
2: I did for the first couple of years when I was in LA, but I haven't been there since then. That year, I was just sort of, I think I was just really in a good place with myself and with playing and stuff like that, so...
0: Yeah, sometimes those times where it's like you almost don't have to get too intense.
3: Exactly well, what you guys thing. are talking about.
2: Well, you're kind of like your whole life isn't resting on this audition, you know?
1: Every audition I've taken felt like my whole <laughs> life is resting on it. Although it's true. It's, I feel like I don't remember being super wound up for this one like when I was 20. Right. right. Exactly. Now. Same thing. Yeah, that's true, I guess.
2: Were you happy at Juilliard when you were taking this audition?
1: Happy at Juilliard? No. <laughs>
2: What a question.
1: Yeah, no. You know, I love New York and I always talk about how great New York is and it is, but I was like really happy to leave when I graduated. I don't know. I was not happy maybe socially and, you know, certainly I I wasn't like subbing with New York Phil or anything like awesome. So, I was just like, well, I'm ready to get out of here.
2: (laughs) Do you think it's different for you because you grew up there?
1: I went to Juilliard because I wanted to be in New York, not even because I wanted to go to Juilliard. But which seems strange. I mean, I said that and it sounds weird to say it now, but like if I'd gotten into Columbia or NYU Law, which I didn't, that would have been like a much harder decision. Like I might have actually been like, oh, I'll just, you know, well say I hadn't gotten into Juilliard and I had gotten in those places. I definitely would be a lawyer now, or I, I would have gone to law school. Who knows if I would have been a lawyer now,
2: but. Do you think you would have been happy?
1: I don't know. I do know that I am that stereotypical person who had no idea whether or not they wanted to be a lawyer, but was just going to do it because of the English major thing. So there, in that, you know, if you look at it that way, there's probably a good chance I wouldn't have been happy. But I think Roderick describes the same, our friend Roderick describes the same path, right? Where he was like, well, I was an English major, so what else is I going to do? And he's like killing it as a lawyer. So, you <laughs> Well, know, and he was a special guest
0: just a couple episodes ago on the audience experience, yeah, if you want to.
1: Pretty sure that he's in a great place, <laughs> career and life-wise. So who knows?
2: Well, if you had one or two...
1: Wait no, he has to tell the story of how he won the LFL job.
2: So this was in my good year, mm-hmm. two thousand five, because I had also won Grand Park, which was going to be my summer gig for Charlotte.
1: Which is where Nathan and you and I—right, where Nathan was reunited. talking about wine. Right, he was in his <laughs> collector glasses, and yeah. I heard you practicing. I was like, "This guy is this oh, guy's awesome."
2: I don't I don't remember that. I think you're making well, it no, up. No, because
1: you were in the other room. Of course, you wouldn't remember it. I was.
3: Like, <laughs> I,
2: I saw the audition in International Musician, and I was like, "Oh, so my parents had." Since moved on from Cleveland to Palm Springs because they want to move to warmer temperatures. And I was like, oh, I can just take this audition as a way to like practice and improve my playing. But mostly because I know I'm not going to advance. And so I can just like so fail you, you in my first... you thought
1: that you came out here Yeah, I was like,
2: I'm going to fail in my first round. But and why? Then... Why would
1: you think
2: that? I think it's just like, you know...
1: Oh, because you were in a good place and you were fine with it if you didn't get yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, right. in
2: the words of love, actually, self-preservation.
1: I don't really get that Seriously.
2: Quote. I, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I obviously didn't tell them about it because they would just worry. And so... Oh, you didn't
1: tell them you were in LA?
2: At first. Right. I didn't tell them I was taking this audition because she would just call me every day like, are you practicing? <laughs> and, <thing. laughs> and so, I remember also in the practicing sessions, you know, we have work. I had to play concertmaster a few weeks beforehand too, so that was stressful. And I remembered like a few days before I had to leave for LA, my boyfriend at the time was like, hey, you want to come on a yacht with us on, you know, on this lake? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, like, I feel like I should prepare. He's like, oh, come on, like, you're more than prepared enough. So, we went and we had a great time.
1: I was going to say, this is a great tale of self-sacrifice, but no, that's not. That's not, that's <laughs> no, not no, uh, no, it, it wasn't. The like,
2: it was like, I needed the break or something. And then I went there and I remembered... It's called tapering. I, really?
1: Yeah, right, you well, know, like you, you're fresh for your audition. I guess so. You're saving your strength for the big day.
2: Yeah, it's tapering if you do well, but <laughs> <laughs> you don't. It's called, <laughs> it's
1: called slacking off. You no. fail.
2: I mean, I remember the first excerpt was Mendelssohn Italian, which is deceptively hard for all you violinists out there. <laughs> <laughs> My heart rate was still up a lot and... My spiccata was not controlled enough, and I remembered the first run-through was not as good as I hoped it would be. And the committee kind of stopped, and they were like, can you play that again? And I was like, oh, thank God. Like, they're giving me another chance. <laughs> like, shook up my hands. And the personnel manager at the time, Jeff Neville, was like, oh, you got this or something. And so, I, I, I did it again, it and was, it was better. Mm-hmm. And then I advanced. And I remembered thinking, oh, shoot. Wait, I have... And
1: I was not on this committee. I keep thinking I was. I don't think
2: you were. Because
1: this was 2005. Yes. Said, okay, so I was gone.
2: When I advanced, I was like, oh, shoot, I have to tell my parents that I'm in town. <laughs> and so I called my mom. And of course, she started crying. And she was like, praise the Lord. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shoot, I shouldn't have told her.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah, so every round, there were. You know, there was a semi-final round, there was a final round, there was a super final round. And then when the super final round ended, I had to call her at 10 p.m. on a Sunday night and, and I called her and she said, praise the Lord. She was like crying. Oh. Yeah, it was crazy. And I remember like running home, sorry, home being my brother's place because my brother was also in his residency. This is the one that became a doctor. <laughs> Thank the Lord. <laughs> and um, he's, like, he's an <laughs> anesthesiologist. <laughs> anesthesiologist. He was living downtown at the time. I just went on like apartments.com and it was like a very good day.
1: I feel like it was meant to be for you here. Yeah, it was. Me too since I
2: came back.
0: I'm
1: just stuck here. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs>
0: well, I, I stuck you here for the second time. Exactly.
1: <laughs> oh, that's sweet.
0: Well, any, um, any general audition tips for everybody listening? Besides being happy with yourself, being at peace with yourself. Right. Well, that's you?
2: that's something you can't really plan for, unfortunately. But for general audition tips that worked for me, this is a long time ago. Kiko, help me out here.
1: I can't give you your audition tips. You know, <laughs> your tips so.
2: are? Right. Well, what were your audition tips? Well, I mean... Oh, you're asking me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know. I'm a very anal, person. I love doing really stupid things like... Making a binder full of your excerpts. That's
1: and as we always say, that's like the essential. It's
2: like the first thing I do. I go to like kinkos or whatever it's called now, and you know, put the spiral on it, and I get a bottle of whiteout, and I white out I whatever. You're going to see
3: a bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: too.
1: <laughs> bottle of wine. Yeah, yeah, and
2: I just I love like. Okay, I know there are some people that say that you know you should have everything for memory and all this stuff. You know it better. I played my concerto with the music even because I didn't want to risk one mistake, one memory slip that will be the deciding factor. And so, I had that also in there. I, I, I would practice my concerto even with metronome. Metronome is the key. I would be in the shower and I would test myself like 88, La mer. 132. Scared, no, These so. are great Seriously. tips.
3: That's
1: like an no, amazing. Yeah.
2: Like you should be able to do that. Like, to just, just internalize in the
1: tempo. Yeah, you have to. I mean, that's something I never did. And that's why it would get away from me, especially before I really figured out how to record myself and then use my ear better. But my first several auditions, you know, I would get to a certain point, And then, you know, I think I would just like, I didn't have those things. You're know, really set in stone. So, that's yeah. a really, really good tip. To
0: now, play. is this all because that guy said that rhythm
2: wasn't your strong suit and so, you decided
1: to get maybe in the shower? Maybe you have to thank and- him. It's for- like, <laughs> I
0: hate
2: him so much, but <laughs> maybe that's what pushed me over the edge. <laughs> but also sound. I think that you know, rhythm is obviously one of the most important things, but sound, you know, at the end of the day, like who wants to hear you if you don't have a good sound? Like yeah, that in an yeah. audition setting, you should probably try to play everything with a really beautiful sound.
0: It's worth repeating. I mean, how yeah. many? Even in the finals, you know, in the auditions that we've heard here in LA, that's usually what it comes down to. Yeah, it's not only violinists listening to the auditions. I mean, it's people from all instrument groups, and their comments are like, eh, you know, I like listening to this person. I just didn't enjoy listening to that person. And
3: yeah, you know, I can
0: tell what they're responding feeling. to is. Yeah, who presses, who scratches. Sorry to hijack your tip. <laughs>
3: these you know, are great tips, yeah.
0: was. I mean, I haven't even really thought of these in so long. I think, you know, traditionally, this being um, Stand Partners for Life, we should close with um, Stand Partner beefs, Stand Partner etiquette, different things that either you try to do or not do as a Stand Partner mm-hmm. and that you look
2: for. <clears throat> yes. Yes.
1: I know that oh, you're very into the fact that your stand partner smells really nice.
2: Um, I have to first say that I love my stand partner, which is <laughs> something I know most people can't say. No, because um, you you have a fixed
0: chair, and so yes. that you have a, a generally a fixed stand partner unless someone's
2: out. Yeah, and you know, fixed isn't always fixed because most of the time somebody's out, and so we have to move up or move down.
1: We don't move down. Not
2: move down. Sorry. <laughs> One of us has to move up, and so somebody else has to move up. And so I actually get a wide variety of stamp partners. But it's
1: the life of the fourth chair.
2: Yeah. <laughs> My third chair stamp partner, she's amazing. But what I look for in another stamp partner is gosh, where do I even start?
1: Someone who takes, no, this is like your, who takes your, the your, job seriously. You're Dr. You Dr.
2: Frankenstein. I mean.
0: You're in the lab. You get to build your perfect stamp oh, partner. Yeah. You know, what are the.
1: You get to carve up a bunch the of corpses and stitch them together and. Reanimate them into your ideal stand partner.
0: Are they talking all the time when the conductor's talking? Exactly. I mean, no. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously (laughs) not. Getting the ball
2: rolling here. Yeah. Not talking. Not making small talk. um, Not practicing while the conductor's talking.
1: Are they writing in fingerings? Hopefully
2: not writing in fingerings. And if they do, they write it respectfully. They write good ones, maybe.
3: Well,
1: I mean, we've all got... Not sure you'd agree with.
2: Turn the page on time. Yes. are looking to space. And quickly,
1: you know, kind of like slowly I mean, lift your arm lackadaisically and then turn the page. What's your
2: biggest stamp partner pet peeve? Too many. <laughs> and I there don't want to get specific many. in case somebody.
1: I know. When they turn their chair. <laughs> all right. Well, those
0: are all great starting because people always ask about those. And I think most violinists, and actually most people that have played in youth orchestra are surprised that the same issues that we encountered in youth orchestra still exist at the pro level. It's all the same people that forgot their pencils in youth orchestra probably forget their pencils, you know, in the LA Phil. and I forgot mine today. Oh, <laughs> only for the second half, so I think. No, I,
1: I didn't bring it out at all today. It's just that Bing forgot hers for the second half, so. Oh, so Since,
2: if, I, oh, since oh, both I never brought forgot. mine
1: at all that we were. Just...
2: This is good though. I feel I like, like... You know, returning to your childhood, don't practice concertos on stage. Don't play louder than your stand partner. If you can't hear your stand partner, then you're playing too loudly.
1: I think I do that.
0: Akiko's <laughs> <laughs> rule is if, I, if I'm hearing my stand partner, then I'm, I'm not playing loud. doing my Yeah, much yeah okay, ha, ha. okay.
2: But Akiko's really good sounds. <laughs> <good. laughs>
1: I think I sound great. <laughs> like, get out of my way.
2: I think you should play as loud as you want. <laughs> you, you encounter a lot of riffraff in your professional life. Just so you know, no job is perfect. Yeah, that's true. Worth remembering. And, and it's often what you make of it.
1: As long as you have good friends. And exactly. Good and, ones. you know,
2: even something like this where you remember, like, why you went into music in the first place. That it's like, would I rather be in a lab doing something I absolutely hate? Versus, we played this Bruckner concert last week, and I was like, I love the symphony so much, and I was just having such a good time on stage, and I was like, this is so much better than being in an office. Yeah, once
0: the concert starts and nobody can talk, and exactly. It's, no, it's the no talking, and it's the stand partner stuff you have to deal with. And
3: <laughs> yeah, I've that's really
0: the hard that. stuff. Yeah, once you can. Yeah, playing the music is get lost in the. Moment. I mean that you know that's hard too, but it's. There's the, that's Well, where the reward I should is.
2: probably add to that, you know, it's like the extra stuff you do outside of work. When Nathan and I were playing last year this chamber music and it was like, it was a lot of fun and it was just very efficient. The, the rehearsals were efficient, which I appreciate. Because we have to get back to the kids. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> has their life outside of work.
0: Well, we really can't thank you enough. Thanks so much for being here and as always for hanging out and thank you all for tuning in for another Stand Partners for Life. And we will see you next episode.